Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bond Talk podcast. You have your host, Ryan McCarthy. And today we are joined by Cooper Chapman. Cooper is an ex professional surfer turned into mental health advocate. He's also the founder of the Good Human Factory, where he is a starting point for your mental health and well being journey. He also does workshops with the Good Human Factory, helping over 30,000 students and over 2,000 corporations for his workshops. He's also got the community as well, the Good Humans, especially with the 1% Club, where he talks about within this episode where it's every single day showing up for yourself, doing the meditations and also doing the free gratitudes and doing it in a community of other people that can help you keep accountable, but also just having like-minded people around you. But he's also got the merch as well, and he's also the host of the Good Humans podcast. So he's, Cooper's been someone I've been wanting to speak to for a while. I've been following him on socials for a couple of years, and then I really wanted to be able to pick his brain around the why behind this mission, why he wants to help so many people, why he keeps showing up relentlessly to help and to spread awareness and to spread the message. And within this episode, Cooper goes into details about all of that while also touching on responsibility and how much by taking the action that can and will change your life, plus so much more. So I'm really keen for everyone to dive in today's episode and enjoy. In other news, if you could please leave this podcast a rating, it means so much in terms of helping this podcast grow and reaching a larger audience. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. The marathon continue. Victory lap tonight, though. Victory lap tonight. Welcome, Cooper. How are you, brother? I'm very good, my man. How are you doing today? Doing well, man. Thank you for coming on today. I was saying before the podcast, but I want to say on here too that uh, I've been following you for a couple of years now and your content and the work that you do inspires me and inspires me heaps so i'm glad you know you're coming on the one talk podcast and share your mission share your story share your wisdom and just you know create some epic value here yeah likewise my man i've um, been watching and following along your content on tiktok and instagram as well the last couple of years and as i said to you off air it's um it's always really nice to see other people who are young men trying to influence people when it comes to their mental health their well-being and just start conversations so yeah looking forward to having a good chat with you my man yeah, awesome. Because that's why I absolutely love the online space now, because maybe about 30 years ago, there was people scattered around the country or around the world doing awesome things, doing really good things, but no one was really aware of each other or able to network and connect. Now with social media, you're able to see someone two hours down the road, like in Gold Coast, like yourself doing this awesome work, and you can end up making so many more collaborations, which then helps more people in the world. Absolutely. And I love that you said that because so often in a lot of industries and unfortunately quite often in the mental health industry, so many people see each other as competition, mm. whereas it's something that I've always, I've, I've hated watching when people get real competitive in spaces that are meant to be about helping people. So I always try my absolute best to go on any podcast. People ask me to come on, give advice wherever I can and yeah, just share all the knowledge that I have because if it can help one person, whether it be the business building side of things with what I've created to the mental health aspects of the work that I do. Yeah. I'm just a completely open book and I know if the words that I can share and the content that I can share can help people, um, then that's kind of what I feel like I'm on the earth to do now after 
a life of um not selfishness but a life of professional athlete it um yeah it, it's a completely different life that i'm living now yeah because i was about to say like i love that because you know it's a community of a competition aspect but from being a professional athlete it's so much of the focus is around what you've got to do and prepare to be able to exceed in the thing you're preparing for but now when you're doing work which is a service of others it takes the attention of you so you can fulfill other people and work with other people but then in the same way, it kind of trickles back to yourself and doing the work on you too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's funny. The whole athlete endeavor was something that I'm so grateful for and had such an amazing career and so many great moments along the journey. But now finding myself in a role and in a business that I've created, which is all about service, um, to me, it feels so much more fulfilling, which is funny. You people would look at my career as a professional surfer, traveling the world, living an extraordinary life. Um, thinking that would be the best moments of my life, but I truly think where I'm at now is um the happiest and healthiest I've been. That's awesome to hear, man. And just a fulfilling part too. Like I want to ask you before we get into your story and the work that you do. Like, what is those fulfilling feelings that come up for you? Like when you reflect on the work that you do, because I've worked in the community section for a while, and I feel like when you're filling up everyone else's cup, it fills up your cup in return. And I'm not sure if you relate with that, but I'd like to hear like what is the fulfillment like for you? Yeah, I mean, I just think I live such a long part of my life doing everything for myself, trying to be the best athlete I could be, that quite often the service and kindness to others got a little bit clouded in my mind. And now the work that I do and understanding a lot of the science behind kindness and serotonin and oxytocin and the happiness chemicals and the things that release those happiness chemicals I'm really learning that giving back to others and doing nice things for others and going out of your way to help people is truly a way to make yourself feel good. And the more that I research and the more that I speak to experts on my own podcast, I'm beginning to really understand that the real hack in life is just being kind to other people because it makes us feel good as well. Yeah, 100%. And the ripple effect that continues off that as well. Like you help one person, the one person listens to your podcast, the one person comes to one of your workshops, then who, what network of people do they go to and share the information that you shared or maybe a guest shared, you know, like the ripple effect of these things can be truly tremendous. Hey. Well, that's the thing. It can, I mean, and that's the thing. I My life has been changed so many times from different people sharing information with me, sharing stories with me. And I'm so, yeah, forever grateful for it. So if I can be that person, that dose of inspiration, that kind of conduit of information between myself and the guests that I speak to on my podcast, that's, um yeah, that's what I'm really enjoying at the moment in life, just getting to speak to really smart people, getting to continue to educate myself and then get to share those tricks and tips with people to hopefully impact their mental health and their impact and the feedback that I get from my workshops that I run to my podcast is that, yeah, it truly is having a big impact on a lot of people, which is um super humbling, but it also makes me aware of uh, the growth that is possible to continue to impact even more people. That's what I was about to say. Does it feel like it makes you more hungry to keep going? Absolutely. It just shows me what's possible that if the podcast, if my workshops, if my merch, all the things that I do, which I'm sure we'll talk about as this podcast goes on with the Good Human Factory as much as it is humbling to know that it is making a grand impact right now, it also does show me what is possible when you have a big month on the podcast. You're like, wow, if I go even bigger than that, it's going to help even more people. So I treat it all like a bit of a game, but also do have to stop myself every now and then and take a moment and reflect on how far I've come and the impact that has been made. But I think the work is um seriously just at the starting point, because as we all know, mental health is declining globally. And 
Um, I feel like the more conversations we have like this, the more we inspire responsibility in people individually, that's where we're going to really start making impact. Mm, well said, brother. And I'd like to, you know, transition to getting into weeds of your backstory and growing up as well, man, because I'd like to hear about like how you first got into surfing and why, because the transition from the first ever time you got into it to being 15 years old, win the Australian title. Like what was that journey like at such a young age and being able to achieve something like that at that age as well? Yeah, surfing's just always been a huge part of my life. My dad always surfed when I was growing up. I'd be down the beach with my mom and my sisters watching my dad surf when I was sort of from the age of zero up until six or seven. And then I got into nippers, which is surf life-saving here in Australia. And would do that down at the beach every week just to get ocean knowledge and ocean skills. And yeah, I just always had a love for the ocean. And then at about seven or eight, my dad started taking me out on the surfboard and pushing me into some waves. And yeah, I just loved it. I, I mean, I played other sports and was super competitive. I really enjoyed competition and getting better at something was something that really filled me up when I was younger. And surfing was just a sport that I picked up really quickly. I started to get sponsorships and do quite well in local competitions from basically the age of nine or 10 and never really looked back. And then, yeah, had a pretty successful junior career, as you mentioned, got to um, compete in Australian titles, won an Australian title at 14, which allowed me to represent Australia at world titles when I was in high school four times in Ecuador, um, Peru, Panama and New Zealand, which was pretty special getting to put the green and gold on in the sort of top four surfers in the country for your age and getting to, yeah, compete against the world's best was something I'll always remember. And, um, yeah, getting to captain team Australia to a gold medal was pretty special back. Um, oh, I can't even remember the year, but yeah, it was really cool getting to just be a part of that wave of young Australians getting to represent the country surfing. And yeah, ever since then, I, yeah, I've never looked back, but yeah, I guess the career finished at a certain point, which was maybe not as old as some people, but definitely, younger than some people as well but it was um yeah a good fun time my surf career that's epic man there's um a question i want to ask around um around the 14 15 years of age and because i feel like a lot of people in the world struggle with this certain challenge i want to see if you did or if you had to overcome this some certain way it's like when you're like 14 15 win the title did you have any identity issues in terms of rocking up to school and everyone knowing you was this champion surfer? Then when you go back to your room and your house, you think you're someone else. Like, did you have any complications with identity at that age or were you so genuine in who you thought you knew you were? Oh, definitely when I was younger, especially that high school period, there was a bit of ego that came with it. I um, was definitely at times quite cocky when I was doing well, but then when I was doing poorly, I was almost embarrassed. So I rode quite a, interesting roller coaster when it came to my mental health and my identity throughout my teen years because I used to base so much of my identity on external validation when I was doing well in my comps I had sponsors knocking on the door wanting to bring me on their team when I wanted to go on these trips overseas and had all these incredible opportunities when I was doing well so so much of my life was based around I have to do well to get this external validation to be the best version of myself and that was okay as a junior surfer, and I kind of rode that roller coaster, I feel like, quite well, mainly because I was pretty high up in my division. I was quite often in the finals day of my events. I ended up getting second in Australia's junior series at um, seven, 16 and 17, my last two, my last year of high school and first year out. So when I was that age, I did have quite a lot of success. When you're only versing everyone in Australia, it's a bit different to when you sort of reach that international scale, which is 
where my story kind of really started when I got to about 20 and started traveling internationally a lot more, even 18 to 22, I started really traveling a lot internationally. And that's where my results started to decline, which also led to my mental health starting to, I'd say decline, but also confuse me a little bit because I was so enthralled in this external validation and I wasn't doing well and I wasn't getting that external validation. I felt a bit lost in my early 20s at times. Mm. It makes sense because you've been like high performing at like such a young age, you know, like a lot of people don't really adopt that or get to that to a certain level of their life. Like what skills did you have to learn early on that you feel like others had to learn later, do you reckon? I think discipline is a huge one. As a young athlete, I mean, I was in the gym training from sort of 14, 15, doing different training with coaches and squads. And I think just self-discipline is a massive one. I feel like as a youngster, getting that early was such a benefit throughout my life, knowing what it takes to, yeah, really be doing what it takes to get to where you want to be, having to sacrifice certain things. And, yeah, throughout my teen made so many sacrifices, missed out on a lot of parties and doing a whole bunch of things to chase that dream, which, um, yeah, I don't regret at all. But there was definitely, yeah, some different habits and traits that I got to pick up at a young age because of my competition and because of my surrounding with elite level coaches. I was, um, yeah, really disciplined when it came to the gym, really disciplined when it came to my equipment, when it came to my work ethic, when it came to the surfing was always, yeah, super high at a pretty young age. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good skill to learn. So I think I learned discipline, like to actually, I know you've talked about like wisdom versus knowledge. I think it is, is the mm. concept that you talk about. And I don't think I learned that properly till I was about 20. So to be able, do you feel like that's a skill you've now taken on up until now is like the art of discipline and being able to dance with it and being able to work with it and to use it as a way to help you progress, but also keep a line in between work and life balance? Yeah, I think discipline just really comes back to taking responsibility. And there's been moments in my life where I've played the victim in my own head and not taken much responsibility because I've, yeah, had something bad happen to me and wanted to blame it on the coach. I wanted to blame it on the um, the judges. I wanted to blame it on the conditions, got up the top, you know, like always pointing fingers and never taking any responsibility myself. But I didn't have many of these learnings when I was younger, but I still had quite a bit of discipline because I wanted to do really well because I wanted to do well for that external validation. Whereas now I understand that responsibility is just your ability to respond to the situations that come up in life. And now I really feel like I'm doing that a lot better when a situation comes up, do I point fingers and then I can't take any responsibility. I can't respond to something if somebody else is the reason for it. Whereas if I take responsibility for everything in my life, and know that, hey, if I'm taking responsibility, that means being disciplined. That means questioning those voices in my head when I'm in line in bed in the morning saying, no, nah, don't get up. It's like, no, I want to, my ability to respond is high right now. I'm going to get out of bed and do it. Or if my ability to respond is low, then I'm not going to have much discipline. So that's a kind of a new concept I'm working at the moment that I've learned through a different co this course that I'm doing at the moment. But I love the way that this guy, um, this guru guy called Sadhguru, um, from India, I've been doing his course at the moment and he talks about responsibility in that way of your ability to respond to different situations in your life. And I love it. So I'm playing with the delivery of that concept, but it's something that, um, yeah, responsibility has always been a big thing in my head, but understanding that it's just your ability to respond. And if you don't have the ability to respond in a positive way, then yeah, you're not taking much responsibility. You feel like, cause it's so much, so easy to fall into the victim mindset and blame other people. But when you look at yourself in the mirror, it can go rather two ways. It can be something that 
makes you feel depressed and anxious and you start getting like negative intrusive thoughts about yourself or it can be something that can motivate you to correct or to maybe get better or to edge forward a little bit do you see it as a way now that it helps you maybe grow into the potential that you see yourself going into yeah absolutely like my whole biggest fear is not reaching my full potential and that starts with taking responsibility for your life not putting blame on other people when you're having downfalls going okay what can i do to get myself out of this situation and it's something that i do every day still struggle with i find myself in the victim mindset at moments of every day but it's about flipping that switch and going nah no one's coming to save you it's only you coming to save you what are you going to do today to get out of it what habits are you doing today what habits are you not doing today how are you responding to all the different things that pop up in your life are you responding with an open optimistic mind or are you responding with a closed victim mind it's a choice we make every time we have something to respond to throughout every moment of our day um and yeah i'm just trying super hard to not be that victim because yeah, unfortunately, no one's coming to save you. And if we can start taking that responsibility ourselves, I feel like that's a way forward in life. Mm, I agree. Because I feel like when you start taking responsibility, it creates so much more freedom within your life. Because it feels like once you take responsibility, then you realize you have control of what outcomes can be next. Absolutely. Yeah. So going back a little bit, like when you first started traveling and going across the globe and across Australia, like, cause when I first started traveling, I realized I learned so many life experiences more so than I would, you know, in the book and stuff like that. Like what lessons have you taken from traveling the globe at such a young age that really help you today? I think the biggest thing with traveling is perspective, getting to go around the world and see how different people live in the world and realize there's no normal. The way that I live is so different to the way that someone lives in Spain, the same way that someone lives in Tokyo, the way that someone lives in LA so it's kind of allowed me to have this perspective of when I feel like, oh, my life's not really going how I want it to be. It's like, it's okay. Everyone's life's so different. We just need to start moving forward. So I think one of my biggest yeah lessons when I was traveling was just perspective, learning how lucky we really have it. Being born in Australia is literally like winning the lottery. And what, there's 28 million people in Australia, 8 billion in the world. I think it's like 0.3% of people in the world are born in Australia. So I think having that perspective is just such a big one. And the way that I look at some of the stats now when it comes to mental health in Australia, it's just so disappointing because we're the second most prescribed country on the planet when it comes to any depression and any anxiety medication. And I mean, look at where we live, look at the yeah. standard of living. We're so lucky. And don't get me wrong, there is some absolute challenges for a lot of people. But in relation to so many people in the world, we've got it so good, yet we're the second most depressed country on the planet per capita. Mm. So I think perspective is a big one for me, making me realize, wow, I'm so lucky to live where I am. I'm so lucky to have the opportunities to have the different resources around me to achieve whatever I want to achieve. And that's why I'm so passionate about giving back because I almost feel guilt that we've had it and I've got it so good. I've traveled, I've done so many incredible things in my life. So now I feel such an urge to give back and to try and share my learnings to maybe help those people in Australia who are struggling with their mental health and globally. Because, yeah, I really think the stats should not be skewed that way for Australia being the second most depressed country because, yeah, that perspective I've had with so much travel has been invaluable. Yeah, it's saddening to hear things like that, you know, like places where we live, like Australia being the second most. And, like, why I appreciate your work so much, brother, is because, there's so, like there's a lot of awareness out there for mental health, which is awesome. The awareness is awesome, but there's not enough action behind it as well. Because I was confused at one stage a couple of years ago, like we've had more awareness than ever, but the numbers keep going up. Like, why do you think there is that gap between there's so much awareness out there in the world, 
but the numbers are still there and they're still showing and people are still struggling. Mate, I completely agree with you. There's so much awareness, but there's not much action. And I mean, I've got my theories, but something that I really love talking about and the concept that I think can really maybe change this whole mental health thing that we've got going on is talking about mental health and mental illness as two different topics. Whenever you say the word mental health, everyone just straight away goes depression, anxiety, suicide, everything to do with mental illness. But the fact is that mental health is something we all have. Mental illness is something that affects 20% of us. So if the 80% of us who aren't affected by a mental illness right now start taking actionable things like meditating daily, practicing gratitude, practicing mindfulness, practicing our um, communication with the people who we love in our life, before we get to that 20%, then, hey, that 80% might grow to 85 and then we've only got 15% of the people in the country who are affected by a mental illness. So I think it comes back to really maintenance and a change of language, people being proud, going like, Just like I take care of my health, I take care of my mental health. What does that look like? Meditation, gratitude, kindness, all of these different things that now science shows are going to improve your mental health, but they take a little bit of action every day. If there was a pill that could give you improved relationships, better sleep, all of these different health benefits of the few different modalities I just talked about, everyone would take that pill, but it takes 10 to 15 minutes a day. Mm, there's your barrier to entry. If anyone can look at their phone right now and not have 15 minutes on social media, then okay, I agree, you might not have the time to do this stuff. But almost everyone, I guarantee everyone listening to this podcast on a device has probably got 15 minutes a day that they could add to their toolbox, something to do with positive mental health, just like we need to for fitness so we don't put on weight. We need to do something each day for our mental health, so our mind and our, um, yeah, things going on up in our head don't get too clouded. I love that, man. It's like changing the narrative, eh? Because I know a lot of people heard the word mental health and majority of people will just mentally switch off or subconsciously switch off when they hear the word because the may finger may not relate to them. But the thing is, like you said, everyone's got physical health. Everyone's got mental health. We just have to really separate the two, like mental illness and mental health. I start having conversations about them both and what they truly are. Well, that's the thing. Like if you go to a hospital, there's mental health nurses, not mental illness nurses. And that's why anyone gets so scared about going like, oh yeah, like you say mental health and people go, oh no. If we start going like, no, no, mental health is something everyone's got. There's no point in backing away from the topic. What are the positive things we can do in mental health? Because so often the industry is skewed towards asking people if they need help, seeking help, um, and all of the kind of things that are so important, but I just feel like everything is skewed towards that. And it's really important that we start to change the narrative and stop making it about awareness and make it about action. Don't like the best thing you can do for everyone else's mental health is take care of your own mental health. So you're not an extra statistic. And that just starts with those daily actions. Mm, it's so true because I, I like I'm a reflection of the world around me so like when I do the work on myself everyone else receives that good version of myself you know so like when I meditate when I do my breath work when I go to the gym and exercise I show up as the person that I want to be and everyone else only benefits from that exactly and that's the thing it all comes back to responsibility doing those daily things that we know scientifically are going to make you feel better You feel like this is why you're so motivated to go into schools, like specifically, like to be able to spread the awareness of mental health within schools, because I've seen that you've helped or you've worked in with over 20,000 students, which is great. But like, is this why you're so motivated to be in schools as well? Absolutely. Well, that's kind of the reason why I started the Good Human Factory. I um, was still surfing professionally up until 28, but when I was about 24, 
I or 25, my younger sister was in her last year of high school um, in year 12 down in Sydney. And she came home and let the family know one day that one of her friends in her year had committed suicide. And I was just like, far out, young people taking their own life is just so dreadful. Two weeks later, she says another boy in her year had taken his life. And that was when I was just like, are you kidding? There's these kids in my local area that are struggling so much that they're doing the unthinkable and doing the, yeah, the act of taking their life, like, which is just so dreadful to hear. There's so much life ahead for these young kids. And it's because they don't have the skills and the awareness and the actions to bring themselves back when they're really struggling and have the, um, yeah, ability to ask for help. So I just made it my mission that day. Maybe I can go and tell some kids some of the little things that have helped me along my way. And if one of the kids gets a little light bulb moment and thinks, oh, mental health and mental illness are different or, oh, gratitude is something maybe I can do one day or, oh, this cool pro surf is going to tell me that meditation's um good to do. I just saw it was my duty to try and share with the kids at schools the knowledge that I have. And yeah, as you said, I've been lucky enough to speak to, I think, close to 30 or 40,000 students now. I've spoken with um, thousands of corporate groups as well which is just so cool getting to share my story and just make stuff really simple. It doesn't have to be this big scientific topic, mental health. It just has to be about those daily actions. And I break it down into five really simple um, values that if we live by these values, our mental health kind of takes care of us itself. And the first one is responsibility, which is building the awareness that, hey, I do have control over my life if I take daily actions. The second one's gratitude every day, just looking around for the positive things in our life. Everywhere we look is fueled by negativity. The media knows negativity spreads way faster than positive news. So we're surrounded by this. So we're just kind of swayed to talking like that, but we don't have to. We can talk about the positive things, the good things that we see people doing. So gratitude every day, reflecting what goes well in my day. And then empathy, taking a moment to actually put yourself in other people's shoes. And when you see someone act in a way that you don't agree with, instead of judging them going, I wonder why they act like that. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what their situation is, why they're acting like this, which maybe I don't agree with, but I wonder why. Rather than straight away go to judgment, go to criticism, go to opinions, just take a moment and go, all it does by having judgment, criticisms, opinions, all these negative things, it's just bringing your own vibration down. It's just bringing your own mood down for no apparent reason. So empathy is so important, listening to people better, respecting their judgments. And um, yeah, just not having judgment of people is so important. Uh, and then I talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness is something that we should all do every day, which is just being more present. If we aren't taking moments each day to bring ourselves back to the present moment, we're just constantly living in the past in our head or living in the future. And that Sadhguru guy that I was talking about before had a beautiful one that I did in this lesson the other day that he said, he said, if we always have one eye on our goal in the future and one eye in the present, we miss 50% of what's going on in our life. Yeah, if well. you two eyes in the present, keep your whole focus in the present and the future is going to come no matter what just stay focused. And I was like, oh, it's so good. Like, obviously we can look at our goals and plan for them, but then bring our focus back to the present moment. Because if we've got one eye on the future, one eye on the present, you miss 50% of the present and that's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> it makes so much sense because a lot of people are rather caught in the past or trying to focus so much on the future that they forget to be in the moment. Like what really helps you just bring, what really helps you like just draw back to the presence, like in moments when you catch yourself out thinking of the past or the future? I mean, there's so many things, but one of the one of the main ones is just meditation every morning. I like to say if you brush your teeth in the morning so you've got clean mouth, um, you take care of your teeth, uh, you don't have bad breath for the person walking next to you, meditate in the morning so you've got a clear mind so you're not a shitty person and you're reactive all day to people. 
So meditation is just such a big one for me is, um, yeah, that's probably the main one to try and just clear my mind and be in a calm state each day. Mm, it really does like help you process thoughts as well. Because if we think about the average human, the waking up, the getting up on the phone and they're going to work and they're doing the thing. And maybe if they have kids, you got to look after the kids. Like you got to think like how much of the day are we actually sitting with our own thoughts and solitude and processing information? I feel like if we don't do that consistently, like meditation, that's where things like anxiety and stress and burnout and feeling overwhelmed come from. Yeah, and I think just witnessing it, taking moments each day going, oh, wow, I'm so unkind to myself. Like speaking to a neuroscientist recently in my podcast, she said we had 6,000 thoughts a day on average, 75% of them for most of us are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. That's like 4,500 negative thoughts a day for all of us. Don't you think it's important that we start to slow the mind down, witness those thoughts and actually go, oh, that's unhelpful, that's untrue. I wouldn't speak to my best friend the way that I speak to myself. And then we can start to re-change that dialogue that we have and be a bit kinder to ourselves. And it's something I really struggle with and I'm continually trying to work on. But the first step is just building that awareness and going, oh, wow, the most important relationship I have is with myself. It's the only relationship I'm going to have forever. So it's the one that I should work on the most. And the best way to work on that relationship is to meditate, is to do breath work, is to find moments of stillness and reflect on the way that we talk to ourselves. For the person that is listening to this at the moment and they're hearing the word meditation and it's something that they've heard about, it's something that they've maybe practiced before that they couldn't do it. Like what really helped you drop into or really practice meditation? Because I know for me, when I first started practicing meditation, I was getting more frustrated trying to do it <laughs> than enjoying doing it. But now like it's something I live by. I absolutely love it. But what really helped you be able to just to practice meditation? I mean, doing a course is a really good way to sort of understand the intent behind it a little bit more. When I first started meditating, I'd put something on just like you and get frustrated. I can't stop my mind. And then I did a course. One of my good friends has a course um, called Mindspo Method. And he was like, there's no good and bad meditators. There's just someone who meditates and somebody who doesn't. And that's what meditation is about, trying to sit with those thoughts and just let them go and come by. And I do so many different ones, whether it be guided meditations, still meditations, mantra meditations. There's such a variety and that's the thing, just trying to find one that works for you and trying to just give yourself those couple moments a day to sit down. I like to say it's like every day we have this game of ping pong going on in our head with 6,000 thoughts. Just put the bats down for 10 minutes and try and oh, give that mind a little bit of a rest because it's so active for so many of us and it's just a gift to yourself to be able to slow down and it's a gift to the people around you because it allows you to just slow down. And the main thing that I've found with meditating, and I know it is tough for people to slow your mind down. And even myself who meditates quite regularly every day to my friend, Chris, who is my meditation coach, he's like, it takes me 10 to 12 minutes out of my 20 minute meditation a day to get my mind into a quiet place. So don't think because you just started meditating and you can't slow your mind down, you're shit at it. My mate who's a 15 year meditation coach still takes 10 minutes quite often to get his mind to calm down. So it's about going into a meditation without any judgment at all. It's like every meditation is going to be different. Every practice is going to be different. And it's not about the feeling you get throughout or the feeling you get directly after. It's about the long ongoing effects that you get, because then when a situation pops up that you normally react to, it's almost like you create this tiny bit of space and you can respond to situations. Your ability to respond is improved by so much when you meditate each day, when you slow the mind down and just bring yourself into a calmer spot. And one more thing, you kind of touched on before and I forgot to answer this when you said, what do I do if I get flustered? And I do have a lot of thoughts about the past and the present. 
I have this little mindfulness technique that I use because it was something I used to struggle a lot with with my surfing. I'd go down and sit on the beach. I'd get ready to paddle out for a big event. I'd be listening to music. I'd be watching the conditions. I'd be listening to the commentators. I'd run down the beach. I'd strap my leash on. I'd paddle out the back. I'd be sitting on my board in Belito in South Africa getting ready for my event. But my mind would be thinking, oh, I wonder what my sponsors are going to think if I lose this heat. Or uh, am I going to be able to afford to get to the next event if I don't make it through this heat? Oh, are my parents going to be disappointed in me? My mind would be everywhere, past and future, but not in the present. And I told that to my sports psychologist once. I was like, mate, I find it really hard to stay focused. And he's like, don't worry. It's so common, my man. It's um, it's becoming harder for all of us because we're filled in this world of distractions. Our phones, the internet, everywhere we look, there is distractions. So it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to come up with a way to fight back against that. And he said, I'm going to give you this exercise where we connect to our senses. And I was like, why? And he said, because our senses are only ever in the present moment. Our sight, our hearing, our smell, our taste, and our touch are only in the present moment. So if we connect to these senses, it gets us out of our head and back into our body. So, I mean, do you want me to take you through a little 30-second exercise that your listeners can do with us right now if they're not driving? Yes, please. As a way to get out of your thoughts and into your body. So we'll focus on three of these senses right now. The first we'll focus, focus on is our sight. So wherever you are right now, even if you're driving, I want you to look around. And try and notice all the different things that you can see. For me right now, I can see lights. I can see a microphone. I can see a surfboard. I can see light coming through my window. I can see my clothes. I can see a whiteboard. Just think, just notice all the things that you can see right now. While we're doing this, is it's connecting to what's in the present moment, what we can see. So that's our sight. If you're not driving, I encourage you for this next one, close your eyes. If you're You've got headphones in. You're probably going to hear nothing right now except for my voice. But try and hear the loudness of my voice, whether I speak loud, whether I speak soft, if you can hear that. And try and just pick up what else you can hear around you right now. I'll be quiet for five seconds. See what else you can hear around you. Or even if you can just hear your thoughts. All right, so that's our hearing. Now the next one, the last one we're going to focus on is our touch sense. So I want you to put your hand on your heart, Ryan. And anyone listening right now, if you can, put one hand on your heart. If you're not driving, again, close your eyes. If you're driving, you can do this even with your eyes closed. I want you to notice just the feeling in your body right now while you take a breath through your nose or mouth, just how it feels, that air going down and your belly and chest rising and falling while you take a breath, just how that feels in your body. And then lastly, secondly, I want you to try and focus on the feeling of your heartbeat on your hand. Just try and focus while you take a breath or two, if you can feel it thumping against your hand, if you can feel it anywhere else in your body, and just feel it for a second. All right, now we can open our eyes. So that was about a minute, what we could see, what we could hear, what we could feel, and you're probably not thinking about what you were thinking about before. You are connected to, okay, what I can see, what I can hear, what I can feel. It's just a really easy little skill that we can ever do. It doesn't have to be as long as we did just then. It can be five seconds. I do it now when I run down the beach before every surf. I sit on the sand. I look out. I go, okay, I can see waves over there. I can see the blue water. I can see the blue sky. I can see some sand. I can see a kid running on the beach there. I can see the clouds. I just notice stuff. And then I close my eyes and I listen to the waves. I listen to the wind. I go, I can hear a wave there. I can hear a wave there. And then I pick up some sand and I rub it between my hands and I go, I can feel the sand grains between my hand. I can feel my wetsuit tight on my body. Okay. I'm not thinking about my tax. I'm not thinking about dinner. I'm thinking about what's happening right now. Now I can go and have a good surf and I can be more focused and more productive and just be more in the present moment. Thanks for sharing that, man, because like, it's so peaceful when you tap into that, you tap into that presence and 
the thing I love about what you just shared there is that you could do it for the next 50 years and nearly every time you do it, you can still get the same feeling from it. That's the thing. It's so accessible to everyone. But as we've been touching on throughout this podcast, it takes a bit of action. It takes awareness that you need to catch yourself when you're like, oh my God, my head is spinning. How do I slow down? I'm about to walk into this meeting, but my head's just going on everywhere. Okay, I've got my tool. What can I see? What can I hear? What can I feel? Okay, I brought myself back to center. Okay, I can go and take on whatever's coming against me right now. Mm. Yeah, I want to reiterate like how good this is too for the people listening if you do practice long term because other neuroscientists come on the podcast and he was talking about dopamine dynamics and the majority of things that give us access to dopamine usually we do have to go to more extreme lengths to reach that same baseline of dopamine so essentially our baseline gets higher but things like mindfulness and becoming present it doesn't raise our baseline of dopamine so it's not like we have to go and do 50 hours of meditation to get the same benefits. We can still do the 10 minutes. We can still do the five minutes and still feel the same bliss as we did 20 years ago or maybe 20 weeks ago, you know, like it doesn't change or alter and it doesn't affect us in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so many healthy habits and we're so lucky we live in a time with so much access to information, but knowledge is knowing the information and learning the information. Wisdom is actually doing it. That's a quote that you were touching on before, but that's, uh, I love that one. It's like we all... We're very lucky. We know a lot of stuff. Like most of us know the healthy things that we should be doing every single day for ourselves, but are we actually doing them? That's why it's so important to have accountability buddies, to have whiteboards up around your house, to have diaries, just things to keep you accountable, doing those things that you know are good for you. Mm, especially what you said before too, like especially with the action piece of it, because the simp to be able to simplify it is so important because I feel like when it comes to you know, doing mindfulness practices or doing things to help your mental health, people overcomplicate it. And I feel like that's where they may fall off track of staying consistent as well. Cause they think it may be, you know, like an hour morning routine and then reading two books and then at nighttime having this big other routine. I think there's a big misconception of like how to actually look after yourself. And when you really do simplify it and just maybe do two or three things a day that really work for you, you know, like for yourself, I believe it's the gratitude and the mindfulness and I assume you add in some body movement in there too. Like those three things right there could be such a game changer. You don't have to add in all these crazy other things on top of it. Yeah, you can just start small and build up and try and find what works for you. Like now I have um a habit board where I do um 14 different, I try and do 14 different habits a day and not all of them take that long. So I try and do like breath work when I wake up for 10 minutes, meditation for 10 minutes um, right after my breath work get out of bed, take my different supplements, my greens, my aminos, the things that I know are good for me. Then I try and do 30 minutes of exercise a day, get in nature at some point, do some grounding, do some stretching before bed for a few minutes, read a couple pages of a book, um, do a bit of work every day on my um, business to try and move forward with that. Communicate with my partner is a really important one, whether it be my partner, a friend or a family member, actually have a good conversation every day. So important. Um, cooking at home, nutrition is so important to us to trying to eat organic food and actually take time to be present while I'm cooking, super important to me. Self-care, which is just me putting on my sort of skincare creams and actually taking care of my skin each night, um, drinking enough water each day, getting off my phone before 6 a.m. in the morning and after 7 p.m. at night, and then doing my gratitude every single day. So it sounds like a lot, those 14 things, but really it's about an hour of my time to tick off all of that stuff. 
and it's just for me it's like what are we here on earth for obviously a lot of the work i do is for everyone else but if i can't give myself an hour or two hours a day for myself then what are we doing here so it's about trying to keep that responsibility piece and um yeah make sure you tick off those things and don't get me wrong i do not do all of those things every day if you do all of them over seven days that adds up to 101 i tally all mine so week one when i started this a couple of weeks ago i got 88 out of 101 Last week, I only got 80 out of 101. So like, I'm far from perfect. I miss a lot of these things every day, but it's not about being perfect. It's about being consistent. Yeah. And do you feel like it helps also having the visually, like being oh. able to see it externally? Because I feel like when things are in your own mind and get very clustered, you get confused or you become forgetful, but having to think visually like on a whiteboard or something like that, is that something that really helps? Oh, it's massive. And me and my partner do it. So it kind of helps having a little bit of competition, seeing who's getting their... um stuff done every single day and yeah having it in front of you is just so so powerful looking at it going oh damn it i've got a lot more crosses and ticks today like and what i have written on that board is full potential and my biggest fear is to not live to my full potential so they're all little habits that i know are good for me knowledge is knowing but wisdom's actually doing them so it's about trying to keep myself accountable keep my partner accountable and then hopefully in the future i'm going to turn that actually into a course and um create some accountability groups for anyone listening um go check out the good human factory. And it's some stuff that I'm going to be bringing out later this year, because I just know all these habits aren't that hard to learn, but can have a massive impact on your life. If you can do them consistently. That's epic. I'll be checking that out. Like how do you find the dance between wanting to get to that potential and then having days where you may be behind the track of where you thought you should have been and not beat yourself up and not downgrade yourself or belittle yourself. Like, how do you combat unhelpful thoughts, let's say, and being able to really rationalize them? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, I mean, I just took like my first two weeks off in almost two years when it comes to my podcast and my work and everything. And that was really hard to actually switch off. I found it quite difficult because I just know there's so much impact to be had and I find it really difficult to switch off. But I also am very aware that doing nothing is doing something. And that's something I've learned a lot recently is you're no good to anyone if you're burnt out. You're no good to anyone if you just absolutely burn yourself at both ends of the stick. So it's about finding balance. And that's why all those habits is giving myself an hour or two hours for myself every single day. And then I can show up for everyone else. If I start missing all those habits, that's when I feel like I start going into burnout. And that's why it's so important to keep that accountability, whether it be with a friend, with a partner, and just trying to be like, okay, what are the healthy things that we know are good for us that make us feel good? And then going, okay, now let's do them every week. We like Most of us know the stuff that's good for us, but a lot of us aren't doing it. So that comes back to the responsibility piece once again. And like you said, that there's a lot of self-negative um, talk that I have all the time, but you can lean back on your habits. It's like, okay... I'm still doing the bare minimum. I'm still doing these things. The rest of my life will fall around it. Mm, the practical controllables. I feel like yeah. if you do them consistently, like it's very hard to burn out. Like when you are looking after yourself so much and you're doing the self-care and you're doing the self-love and you're making sure that you are doing the things that really take care of you. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's just so many domains in life, like taking care yeah. of your financial health, taking care of your obviously um, career. There's just so many things that we need to consistently work on. But that's the thing, just building awareness of what needs to be done and prioritizing it. And then just, yeah, doing things every single day. Being kind to yourself as well. Absolutely. Being kind to your mind is one of the biggest taglines I have for the Good Human Factory because, 
yeah, that relationship we have with ourselves is so important. Like we said, uh, I touched on before, 75% of most of our thoughts are negative. So the more that we can change that, the better off we're going to be. If we can turn that down to 50% of negative, 25% of negative, think about that over a lifetime, how much more positive stuff's going to be going on in your head, how much better your life's going to be. Yeah, it comes down to like dedicating the 1% every day to yourself. I know you've got the 1% club and it works out to be like 14 minutes a day roughly where people can join the groups and be able to participate in the practices that really help them. Would you like to talk to us more about that? Because I think it's a really good and um, practical thing that people can dive into. Yeah, definitely. That's something that's probably the thing. I mean, there's a few things I'm proud of, but it's probably the thing I'm most proud of with the Good Human Factory so 920 days ago now, I was sitting there doing a meditation one day and I, like all of us, I couldn't stop my mind and I was thinking about business ideas and thinking about this and that. And one of the thoughts that came to my head, I was like, surely we can all agree we should be able to give 1% of our day to our mental health. It's the biggest killer of men age 14 to 45 in the country. It's an alarming thing, mental health. Yet a lot of us aren't doing anything for it. So I was like, all right, we should be able to give 1% of our day to our mental health. So this was all going through my head when I was doing a meditation and I was like, what's 1% of a day? And I was like, I stopped my meditation, mid-meditation is one of the only times I've ever really done that. And I was like, I've got to work out what 1% uh, of a day is. And it worked out to be 14 minutes. So I was like, just over 14 minutes. So I was like, okay, what can I fill in 14 minutes that I know is good for my mental health? Meditation's an obvious one. It's something that I was doing quite regularly, but I also wasn't doing it every day. Um, so I was like, okay, 10 minutes of meditation. Then I was like, okay, gratitude is something that you look up all the science, you look up all the mental health stuff. The more you practice gratitude, the better your mental health is going to be. It just lets you see the world through a completely different perspective. So I was like, okay, 10 minutes of meditation, four minutes of gratitude. Sounds good. That's what I'm going to do. But then I was like, mm, you're 800% more likely to maintain a healthy habit if you have an accountability group around you. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll start an Instagram group chat and ask anyone on my story who wants to join every morning. I'll send a link to a meditation for, to try for ten, a 10 minute one. And every night I'll write three things I'm grateful for. I'll put it on my story and then I'll send it to you guys. And then in the chat, you just write three things you're grateful for. So you can stay accountable for the good things going on in your day. And I was like, great. So I started an Instagram group chat the first, I think day or two, I had like 40 or 30 or 40 people in. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, and yeah, I've done that for 920 days straight now. Uh, now there's 1500 members across nine different group chats with about 150 in each group chat. And yeah, it's phenomenal. Every single day, there's hundreds, if not thousands of gratitudes written in from strangers all around the world who don't know each other, who have now become commun individual communities who support each other. Someone will say, oh, I had a bit of a bad day today. I went to my uncle's funeral, but my gratitudes were good to see my family. There's some nice food there and this. And then you'll get 20 strangers from around the world going, so sorry about your loss. Reach out if you need anything. So it's created this beautiful community of people who are just dedicated to giving their own mental health 1% of their day, but then are really supporting the people around them. So yeah, it's, it's been a cool community to build. It's been yeah, it's completely free. If anyone listening right now wants to join and they're like, you know what, I want to give 1% of my day to my mental health and I need that accountability, just send at the good human factory on Instagram a DM saying I want to join the club and yeah, you'll get added in. Like I said, there's like 1500 members now. It's quite a special thing. And yeah, I think there's been close to like seven or 800,000 gratitudes written in over the past three years. So wow. impact that that's had on people and the data and the feedback and the surveys that I gather 
from it every few months um, is just phenomenal, the impact it's having on people and the messages that people send me outside of the group saying it's completely changed their outlook on life and completely transformed their mental health with the meditation in the morning, the gratitude at night is, um, like I said, something I'm super proud of. And it's just a free resource for people too. I'd love to join that, brother. That's I do. I like Thank you. That's that's amazing because I feel like since the big C happened, you know, like people have really struggled with isolation and joining communities and being a part of something. And to be able to know that there's 1,500 people every single day showing up for themselves and growing as well continuously over time. It's like I'm just processing this with it for a moment because, you know, I'm very happy that something like that is happening in the world. Yeah, I'll add you in, man. You'll be blown away. It's um, it's a pretty special place. So yeah, like I said, anyone listening, if you want to join, jump on in. You get discounts to all the Good Human Factory merch. You'll get to connect with a big community of people. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this year doing some like community meetups and just trying to build a community around gratitude and mindfulness to try and just give that 1% of our day to our mental health. Come up to a thousand days, brother. I know. It's crazy. It's like, Oh, I've got so many things coming up. I actually, I do like a 1% podcast episode once a week um, where I read out some of the gratitudes and um, I ask everyone a reflective question every week as well on there now to sort of reflect on their life a bit. And I just realized I put out an episode comes out tomorrow, which is episode 99. So I've done like a hundred weeks in a row of doing the readouts of people's gratitudes, which is pretty cool. But yeah, the thousand days is coming up in or oh, 80 days, so a couple months. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. Like how do you, do you celebrate yourself much for like, I know it's hard, like when you're on the mission, you want to continue to do more and to be able to be more service to people, but do you take much time apart every now and then or every so often to really appreciate yourself. Not as much as I probably should, if I'm being completely honest, like I just see, how much potential there is and understand how much potential I have in certain fields, whether it be podcast downloads, like it's just, I don't know. I feel like I compare up a lot and I need to take my own advice and compare across and down a little bit more because yeah, I mean, there has definitely been some milestones that I've achieved and some impact that I've had, but I also see other people who are doing more and achieving more. So I need to probably be a bit kinder to myself in that respect and have a bit more time to sit down and realize what I've done, but I just see how much potential there is to do more. So I try not to sit back too much and reflect on, um, yeah, that sort of stuff. But yeah, the milestones are always fun to come up to. Yeah. Cause I think for, especially for men, you know, having the mission is important in life direction, mm. the mission, because I feel like if we're aligned to our purpose or living by our values and we're on a mission in life, it can be very fulfilling Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so important to have something a bit bigger than yourself to be chasing towards. And just before we finish up, man, we touched, I want to finish up on the 1% club, but I know we touched on the first aspect of how people can learn to meditate. And I want to touch on the second part of gratitude because I know people can write down gratitude, but they don't feel the emotion connected to what they're writing. Like what do you do or what do you advise can really help people just have that more of an emotional connection to what they say they are grateful for? So there's a few different ways. One of the best tips I'll give people, and this goes straight off what you were just saying, they write stuff down, but don't feel it. And this is what I got told by my psychologist a few years back. He said, gratitude shouldn't be a thought. It should be a feeling. And when I said that, it kind of, for me, conceptualized going from your head down to your heart, down to your gut, into your body, and not just writing down, oh, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for that. It's actually sitting there and going, 
oh, wow, that person really does do a lot for me. And there's so many different ways that we can practice gratitude. The one that I really encourage people to do is when you brush your teeth. I mean, the first one I encourage you to do, if you're lucky enough to sit down and share dinner with somebody or a group of people, your family, your partner, your friends, just ask them before you start your meal, hey, what's one thing that you enjoyed about your day today? It just starts a positive flow of conversation, which starts to release the happiness chemicals in our brain. And all the science leads to when we practice kindness and gratitude, it releases serotonin and oxytocin, which we know are the happiness chemicals. So if we can use an action, whether it be a question prompt or whether it be when we're brushing our teeth at night and we're looking in the mirror and we go, oh, how was my day? Okay, what are three things that I enjoyed about my day? The more that we can start doing these little actions, it starts to change the way that we view the world. We start to look for the things every day that we're grateful for. Another great way, obviously, is to join the 1% Club to read other people's and go, oh, wow, my day was pretty good compared to maybe that person's. And then there's so many other ways as well, whether it be when you're um, <clears throat> feeling a bit down, sending a message to someone, a text message going, hey, I'm so grateful for you. What's the response you get? It'll make your day by the response they give you. So it's about trying to take these actions, whether you send a note to someone or another one that I, my dad always said to me when I was a kid, he said, appreciation, not expectation, mate. Appreciation, not expectation. We just get trapped in this world of capitalism with buy this, that'll make you happy. Expectation, expectation everywhere. It's like, no, we need to appreciate a little bit more. And it's something that, yeah, I got told so much as a kid and I probably didn't grasp it until I was a lot older. But now I know that when my dad said that to me, he was just trying to teach me gratitude. I love how you said that too. Like, if you can't find the gratitude for yourself, give it to someone else because mm. it will come back yeah. to you. Gratitude is just focusing our thoughts and energy on the good things and the things that are positive in our life. Like, we can always have bigger, we can always have better, we can always have more, no matter where you are in life. So, the real trick is to focus your thoughts and energy and be content and happy with what you already have. And that's what gratitude is appreciation for the things that we already have. Absolutely. Well, Kuba, thanks for coming on, brother. Do you have any final words you'd like to share, like how people can find you and things like that? Um, I mean, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really fun. There's been a few little tangents that I'm not used to going on on the podcast. So I appreciate the line of questioning and giving me an opportunity to share, hopefully, a bit of my wisdom to your audience. But yeah, if anyone wants to learn more about the work that I do, the workshops I run for high schools or for corporate groups, you can find all that on thegoodhumanfactory.com. Um, you can also find the merchandise I do, but do a bunch of really cool stuff. I'll actually send you something. You'll be stoked on it. Um, Legend. and then also, I mean, the other main thing is my podcast, good humans with Cooper Chapman, just like yours is such a great way to learn stories from experts, learn stories from athletes and everything else in between. Um, go check out our social media, obviously the good human factory on Instagram and my personal ones just at Cooper Chapman. But yeah, if you enjoy the episode, make sure you share it, make sure you post it on your social media tag, both and myself and one talk because yeah it's so important to get these conversations out there and you never know who can be impacted by it so share it on your instagram send it to a mate i know how much work goes into these podcasts so the small little thing that you can do for ryan that doesn't cost you anything is um yeah just share it around so thanks for having me on i appreciate it no worries at all brother thank you so much they'll also link all of your all cooper's stuff in the bio as well so check out the bio and then you'll get straight to his podcast website and socials but once again thank you brother Cheers, brother.